0: Amen. I want to start by confessing something to you. There's a very simple way to heal some relationships in my life that I'm too scared to do. And I think there's some easy ways for you to heal relationships in your lives that perhaps you're also too scared to do. And that's Starts with a word that sounds maybe like a dirty word to a lot of us. Of I don't, This sounds too religious-y, this sounds too icky. But the word is confession. Anybody want to admit you're wrong? Look at the time where you've messed something up. You've said the wrong words. You forgot to do something you were supposed to do. Uh, and so many of us, we hide from that. We run from that. And so we're going to look at something that might make us feel uncomfortable, but if we're actually willing to embrace it, might actually restore and renew our lives and our relationships. And so it's a hopeful thing, but you're going to have to be courageous with me as we walk into this topic that we don't naturally do well with, I think. And so we're going to read from Acts chapter 16. We're going to finish a story that we've been walking with, and it's a story that ends, which is fitting. The whole story has been a little bit unexpected, but it ends in some unexpected ways as well. So I'm going to read for you Acts chapter 16, verse 26 to 30. I'm sorry, I said the wrong verses to you. Verse 35 to 40. When morning came, the magistrate sent the police saying, "Let those men go." And the jailer reported the message to Paul saying, The magistrates sent word to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul replied, They have beaten us in public, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison, and now they're going to discharge us in secret? Certainly not. Let them come and take us out themselves. And the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And after leaving the prison, they went to Lydia's home, and when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. The word of the Lord. This story has been unusual throughout. Paul and Silas and friends are walking through the streets of Philippi and Macedonia and Greece, and they're walking around. They're followed by this woman who had been Uh, enslaved by this fortune-telling spirit that was being used to profit her owners. And when they release her, the business owners aren't happy about losing their business venture with this woman that is enslaved to them. And so they get the crowd riled up, and they say, look at these Jews. They're messing with our Roman ways of being. Look at what they're going to do. They're disturbing us. And the people got angry, And they beat and hurt Paul and Silas, and they threw them into jail. And they were going to leave them there. And if you remember last week, they left them there all bleeding and wounded. And the jailer doesn't seem to notice until an earthquake happens. And these people who are captured do not leave. They don't run. They don't flee. They're like, hey, are you okay, jailer? Don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And so the jailer sees them for the first time as real people, takes them into his home, heals their wounds, he washes them off, he gives them bandages, and he asks what he must do to be saved. Be baptized. And they, they, his whole family is baptized. And you've got to imagine that jailer is in a weird situation now because he has an appreciation for his prisoners, who he now thinks is wrongfully imprisoned, And so I would imagine he's in a pretty good mood when that next morning he gets word, the magistrate sends some police to them, they send some officers and say, hey, just let those guys go. And so the jailer's thinking, great, I get to tell Paul and Silas, hey, you're free, leave, you're you're okay. But Paul doesn't want any part of that easy version of the story. Because that would be the easy thing. Let's just act like nothing happened, let's move on. And who in here has experienced that? You've had a fight with someone, you've had a disagreement, you've had an argument, and then everybody acts like nothing happened the next day. Let's just go on our way. And uh, the wounds just fester. And so Paul doesn't let them take this easy way out. The first thing Paul does is he notes that the officials are in the wrong. Now the officials that have what feels like the government and power on their side, They get to be, you're the disruptors, you should be imprisoned, you're awful people. And Paul's like, by the way, I happen to be a Roman citizen and what you've just done is illegal. You didn't actually follow the law or the codes. And this one bit of detail completely scares those magistrates. Now, they were used to saying, these people are messing with our Roman way because they couldn't imagine these people who are outsiders, who are different, these Jewish men. They're the weird outsiders, right? Wait, they're Roman? Not that any of us in our own context have had similar experiences, where we're so prone to be like, well, the American way is you fill in the blank, but you fill in the blank with the customs and cultural practices that you're familiar with. And sometimes we struggle to see somebody else as one of us. And these people have completely overlooked and ignored Paul and Silas. And they're like, hey, by the way, we're Roman. So you're going to have to come my way. And you're going to need to apologize to me. You hurt us in public. You think you going to just send us on our way in secret and in private? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. And so Paul and Silas turn the tables like they were supposed to be in jail this whole time. They're supposed to be in prison. They're supposed to be the ones who have lost their power and rights. And yet they're singing songs the day before. When there's an earthquake, they're not fleeing. When they get message that it's time that you can go, they're like, no, I, I've got time. Why don't you let the magistrates know I'll be waiting for them? And when the magistrates hear this, when the officials hear this, they are scared. I think many of us would be scared when we hear the word that we've hurt somebody, we've wronged them, we weren't in the right for it. Having to go and face that person creates a level of fear. That anxiety picks up. What are they going to say? What should I say? And that fear causes most of us to run the opposite direction or act like we don't remember. We just want to ignore it. That fear is too much. And so most of us just stop the story there. We realize we've wronged someone and we just let it go. But the magistrates must show up. And so I want to talk about a few things about why confessions are so needed, why they're so valuable why they're so important. And the first thing is, is that confessions are needed for healing. I I love, I don't know who started this quote, but time plus injustice does not equal justice. We sometimes feel like maybe it might work out that way. Maybe if I just let enough time go on, then suddenly everything will be okay again. And I'll just get to relax. The world would be okay. But let's just not talk about it. Maybe you have those family topics that's like, do not talk about this. What's off limits? Usually there's a pain point there. And when you never talk about it, it stays the pain point that you never talk about. But if we would be willing to confront it, to deal with actually giving confessions, it would allow some healing to start. And there are times where you might not see yourself as the main Problem of the story. Maybe you're not the main agitator. Someone else has wronged something. But maybe you might realize there were some things I didn't react the way I should have. Like at least working through the things you can control, the confessions you can make, begin some process of healing that otherwise just is left to run and just infect your whole spirit. And so confessions are needed for healing. And confessions should be made to the wronged parties. Sometimes we get enough strength that we'll tell somebody else that we feel bad that we did something. Finally open up some vulnerability and say, hey, I really messed this up. But to go from that person to actually the person that I've wronged is a step of fear. Can I be brave enough to go to the person I've hurt and admit this? The flip side of this is, You don't have to be a person who goes around telling all of your dirty secrets. You don't have to confess to everything in life, to every single person that you meet. The reason that Paul says, I need a public apology, you should show up here, is because the public had wronged him. The people, the crowds, the the government, everybody had hurt him in broad daylight. And he's saying, you can't make this right by asking me to leave in secret. I have to deal, like, we have to deal with this public problem. And so there are moments that require public apologies and public healing, but not every single thing you do wrong has to be everybody's confession time. And so it's okay that, you know, not everybody has to know it. And, and sometimes you might know, like, I've had experiences. I go to a retail store or something, and you go to the checkout, and then someone just, like, unloads on you, you're like, man, they are carrying a burden with them because they can't hold it in, right? And I think if we could go to the person that we have that, that frustration, that challenge, that, that problem with, if we could unload it there, we don't have to take that around onto everybody else in the same way. We can have a more healthy process of just going through healing. And so what is it if we might just confess when it's needed for healing, confess to the wrong parties, um, but sometimes realizing I've not just hurt one person, I've hurt many people. And so then you do need to extend, how do I extend this confession to more people? And I was thinking, you know, a few weeks ago, I mentioned Joseph Schutz, the 101-year-old that was uh, just sentenced in Germany, for having been a Nazi concentration camp prison guard. They have made the calculation that it doesn't matter if it's 77 years later, we need public healing, which means we have to admit things that have been done wrong and we have to go through this process. Now, I don't think who are we to decide whether they are right or wrong in deciding that as much because it's not the wrong that's been done to us in the same way. But there is something to that of people being like, it's 77 years later and justice still needs to be had. And this person who has been hiding from this sin for 77 years, we need to come into the public. And all the videos I've seen of this incident, the man in the the story has a big blue folder that's covering his face. And I think he's somewhat holding it, but I think his legal team's kind of holding it up because it's 77 years later And the over 3,500 counts of death that you are being sentenced as an accomplice to is still too much, that it is hard to look at people. And so, I'm amazed when we find ways to have some public healing. Like, I always am amazed at South Africa's ability to do their truth and reconciliation of, we're going to talk about all of the ugliness that has just happened. We don't just want revenge, but we want to figure out how to get to healing. And sometimes you just have to have those public air it out. We've got to deal with this. Now, I think one of the things that's challenging is not everybody wants to, everybody has that same courage to deal with that fear at the same time. Because, you know, in our own contexts, there's plenty of things that we should probably apologize for collectively times where we've mistreated people, whole groups of people. But it's easy to say, can't we just move on? Let's ignore it. We don't need to look there. It hurts too much. But there is value in actually forcing yourself to go through a healing process, confess some sins, so that maybe there's a new possibility that can emerge. If you're on this path and you want to confess, please, please, Confessions should be truthful. If you take this moment and you're a little bit loose with the truth, you're robbing that moment of actually being healing. I think I might've shared the story. I, I'm still like dealing with my emotional, like uh, every time I, I watch this video, hear this story, I get, I get a little bit angry. That, that divine anger start to, to go into my spirit again. Um, but there was a church in Indiana that the, they had a regular service, pastor after the service, they did an altar call. After the altar call, this is a weird transition, he tells the community, I've got to make a confession to you. And he confesses to the community that he had had adultery with someone over 20 years ago. And he talks through this whole thing. You know, it's been a long time ago. I'm gonna, he's like, I'm gonna submit to this biblical process and, and uh, pray for the elders as they make their decisions. And he does this whole thing of like, okay, it was adultery, it's, but it's a long time ago. Um, but pray for us, to which the abused victim then comes on stage and says, you left out the fact that I was 16 when you took me. You've lost all credibility when you completely leave out something in your confession that completely casts it in a new light. If you have this moment, you have the opportunity to be truthful, to get to healing, and you completely break it, you've broken that trust and it's going to be really hard to regain that. And so if you, if you find yourself, you've finally made it where you've, you haven't hid from it anymore, don't let fear take over you in that last step. And think, oh, I, I want to make this a little bit easier for someone to, to understand and to, get on, to grasp. If you're going to go through that work, be vulnerable, be real, be transparent, be truthful. Otherwise, we'll rob that confession. Of healing. One more part to confession. If you finally face it for healing's sake, you go to the wrong party, you speak truthfully, you better have intentions to not do those kinds of things again. If there's not actually repentance of I'm turning from this thing, then what are we doing? You want to bring healing, but then you want to cause the same wound again. And so what's the like, turning away from this thing? What's, how are you going to change this pattern of behavior, this way of life? How, how are you going to turn so that this person doesn't have to get this experience of pain again? And so when I think about this story, Paul invites these, these officials, you hurt me in public, you better come here, and I'm going to wait for you. And then, and then we can go forward. And it says that they're afraid, and they came forward... And it says that they apologized. So the police reported these words. They came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. I don't know how sincere the apologies are. How much is just, we really want this problem to be gone. But it feels like that those officials lost the opportunity of fully going all the way and actually getting like a healed relationship. Because it's like, can you just go? Because right, if you truly get to a healing spot, you don't necessarily have to shove somebody out of the whole city. So Maybe we're not getting together for family events all the time, but like, I don't know, like, you just get out of the city. It's, it's too much for you to be here. Because that still kind of has the stench of, of pain still being there. And so they apologize, but they're still left in brokenness. And I think about how different that situation is from our one last week, where the jailer goes from not caring that they're wounded to trying to help heal their wounds, to being baptized, to feeding him a great dinner. And you go from that kind of response to realizing that you've done something wrong, to this one, which is, we'll go through the motions, we'll say our apologies, and say, please be gone. And so maybe we might be reminded to think about what are we hoping to get when we go through these apologies? What do we hope to get when we repent? Are we hoping to actually heal it? Are we hoping to get away from the situation? Because we're still trying to deflect it. We're not willing to actually go wholehearted into this confession time. And so practically, if you want to get better at healing relationships, because like everybody messes up, right? Like, each of us have hurt somebody when we didn't mean to. Sometimes, when we mean to. And so we all have to work on what is it to apologize, what is it to confess. And it's easy, like, we can get on to our little kids about these things, say you're sorry, and they're like, I'm sorry. Like, no, you say it and mean it. But as adults, like, no one's usually getting us with that same language, be like, did you mean that? say you're sorry. But they said this about yeah. And so we know what bad apologies look like. We're tired of them from politicians and celebrities and people that are public figures that give these CEO like like cold business-written type apologies. But what is it for us to cultivate a life that wants healing and is willing to confess? And so the easiest fertile soil to work that on is just talking with God. If you can get yourself to at least admit it to God and say, God, I wanna get to the spot where I can say this out loud to this person, please give me courage, please give me the right opportunity, please give me the time. But for many of us, we aren't going that far either. We hope God overlooks it, doesn't see it. Did he notice? But if you at least start that process, of God, I want to be honest with you about my day. Here's where I, s- I messed this up. Maybe then you might have enough courage, you might have enough built-in kind of emotional intelligence going on, where then when you see that person, you might be able to take that next step in the process. And if you're bringing God in on that conversation, then maybe you might follow up with God. And you can check in and like, God, have I actually changed? Am I repenting from this? Am I going to do this again? Am I going to cause more problems? But it's not enough just to stay talking only to God about it. Uh, I love, you know, Jesus has the, the talk in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're at the temple and the offering is there, you've left it there, you're about to do an offering to God, and you remember your brother has something against you and he's angry. Go first, reconcile with your brother, come back like that's a heightened version of go connect with the person that you've had that broken relationship with and now we know that it always requires more than one party to have full healing so for many of us maybe you've tried you've laid it all out there and someone has just not been willing to go to that process with you and that that hurts And you can still pray you can still ask god to be in the midst of your healing even when they're not along that journey for you but if you know what that feeling's like when that other person's unwilling to show up to it maybe that might be enough for us to turn and be people who want to bring that healing process to other people because we know what it's like when it doesn't get it's not offered to us so may we be a people who are not afraid of conflict not afraid of admitting when we've been wrong, but willing to actually be truthful, show up, and let God heal the midst of our brokenness. And I mentioned earlier that the confession is that we leave a lot of this on the table. We, we don't follow through as much as we should on these things. And so this message is very simple. To work on confessing not because it feels great in the moment, but because healing feels great. And we are people of a risen Savior who can offer wounds and who can show up and say, you know, this is what you've done to me, but I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to offer you life. So maybe we could be people who are not just hurt, but people who are asking God for healing and offer that healing to others. And that's good news. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask that you might make us mindful of the ways in which your love is not fully being lived out in our lives. The people that we struggle to love, people that we struggle to see as as equals, as neighbors, Lord, I ask that you would renew our eyes and renew our ears, that we might better see the world as you see it. Lord, I ask that you might give us a spirit that truly accepts that you love the world, that you long for this world to be restored and renewed, and that coming to you with truth about the ways that we don't always live up to that fullness, there's not reason just to be shamed and to hide. But you're there waiting to help restore and renew us. Lord, I ask for strength and for courage and wisdom for us that there are many of us who know the problems that we have but, but struggle to see your growth in those areas. Lord, we ask that you might change us from the inside out. and then we might be Uh, good mirrors of your light, we might reflect you into the world better today. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.